1 Peter chapter 5. We'll take just a little detour from our study in the book of Colossians. And this morning I'd like to take a few moments to address briefly some of the events that will be taking place today as it is our intention as a church to ordain a man to the ministry, to authorize him, uh, recognizing the call of God upon his life and recognizing that God is leading he and his family to another work, to a field of labor, and we're excited about what God is doing in regards to that. But I'd like to take just a few moments this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5 and speak to you about the office of the pastor and the responsibility of the man of God. Uh, You may, this morning, many of you will say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I've not been gifted in this way spiritually and I don't anticipate serving as a pastor. But I believe it's important for the congregation to understand the call of God, what it means when a man is called into the work of the ministry, uh, specifically into the work of pastoring, and uh, what his responsibility is. It's unfortunate that many churches have fallen into the trap of choosing pastors or choosing leadership on the basis of personality or pulpit presence rather than based upon the qualifications of God and whether or not that man is called to be a pastor in that church. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter, of course, is writing and he refers here to the elders. Before we read the text, let me just point out to you that the term elder is one of a couple of terms that are used to refer to the office of the pastor. Of course, the word pastor means shepherd. The word elder that is used here is another word that is often used to refer to the office of the pastor. And then also, there is the term bishop, which is used in the New Testament to refer to the office of the pastor. All of these terms refer to the same office and to different aspects of the responsibility of the man of God within the congregation. In this particular case, he's referring to elders who are also shepherds, and that, of course, is the word that refers to a pastor, and he is exhorting these elders with a charge about their responsibility before God. And you'll notice as we read the text in just a moment that Peter, who is writing these words, or who is the human vessel for the writing of these words, of course, these are the words of the Holy Spirit through Peter, but Peter is a man who was discipled under the Lord Jesus Christ, who was called to become a follower so that Jesus could teach him to fish, And eventually, at the conclusion of Jesus' ministry, after he died and rose from the dead and then appeared to his disciples over the course of uh, a number of days, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, had challenged the apostle Peter with the admonition to feed the flock of God, to feed his sheep. And God had left him with that challenge. Now, Peter is an old man. By the time he's penning the words of this epistle, 
he has fulfilled with distinction and with honor the calling of God upon his life. And now Peter, the aged apostle, one who has served as an elder, is challenging other elders in the work that is before them. And he was a man who knew the temptations that they would face, the temptations, the discouragements, the burdens that they would bear. He understood the task that they were called to. And I believe God in his providence chose Peter to address these words to those elders as well as to those who are elders today to challenge about the office of the pastor and what he should be doing in his ministry. Not only was Peter an apostle who was called by Christ, but also Peter describes himself in verse 1 as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus and indeed to the death of Jesus Christ. Peter had been present to see the cost of the gospel upon the Lord Jesus himself. And as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he is writing to these men, encouraging them because he knows that part of the office of the pastor is often to suffer for the cause of Christ. In fact, one of the themes of the book of 1 Peter is the suffering saints. And he is writing to encourage them in their suffering. And he says, you know, I saw the sufferings of Christ, and I know these things are true. But not only was he a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he also says in verse 1 that he was a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. It's not all bad, sad news in the work of the ministry. The Apostle Peter said, I've been a partaker of the glory. And perhaps he's referring to that day on the Mount of Transfiguration when he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ revealed, when he recognized the power that Jesus uh, has in himself. Perhaps that's what he's referring to. Perhaps... He also is referring to the fact that his own life had been transformed by the power of the gospel. How the gospel had taken him from being an impetuous and self-willed individual to being a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus. And so Peter is writing these words with the authority of the Holy Spirit, using the words of the Holy Spirit And in verse number 1, 1 Peter 5, he says this, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. This morning, the comments that I will make should be received, first of all, as an exhortation by Brother Goss, as he is anticipating God's call upon his life and the new assignment that he believes God is leading him to in Zambia to pastor a church there of believers. 
And so I'm addressing some of these comments directly to him, but I don't want to leave the congregation out, and so I'll be addressing everyone more generally. And in particular as well, I'm challenging other men in this congregation who believe that they've been called to the worthy work of the kingdom of God, who believe that they see the calling of God upon their life. This is what that calling is all about. We notice in this, this paragraph, this section of verses, that Peter is giving a charge to these elders, to these pastors. And I'll point out that there is often a plurality which is used surrounding the eldership or the pastors of a church. And it seems to be frequent in the New Testament that a church would have more than one man who is called to serve in the office of the pastor. And typically we see that how that is carried out in the New Testament is that one of those men would provide the primary leadership as what we might call today a senior pastor. But there were often other men who were just as called of God who would serve in that congregation. And in fact, when you get into a larger congregation, there's a need for more than one man to serve in that ministry because there's more than one man can do. The charge that is given to these elders is found in verse number two. It's twofold. First of all, he says he wants them to feed the flock of God. And then second of all, he says that he wants them to take the oversight thereof take the oversight of the flock of God. And I want to consider these two charges to these pastors and consider the responsibility of a pastor. First of all, a pastor is intended by God and equipped by God to be a teacher. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, in referring to this spiritual gift, the pastor is called a pastor and teacher. He is given the job of being a shepherd, but as a shepherd, his responsibility is to feed the flock of God. Now, obviously, Peter, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, does not have in mind here that the pastor is supposed to be a chef or a waiter. In fact, depending on his culinary skills, you may prefer not to eat his food. I'm not saying anything about anyone present, but uh, there are probably those who are more equipped to fix the physical food than others. So this morning, I'm preaching someone else's cooking. And uh, it's not the pastor's job necessarily to provide sandwiches and chips. It's not the pastor's job to make sure that people have enough to eat at their house. He's clearly speaking about not physical food but spiritual food. And there is a a grave responsibility and a crying need in this generation for men of God who are not enamored with the limelight, who are not seeking after a higher position, but who are willing to serve quietly and humbly, simply teaching and admonishing with the word of God. So that people can come to an understanding of what the truth is is. There's many places where God's people in the New Testament are referred to as sheep. And one of the main functions of a shepherd is to make sure that the sheep 
get sustenance, that they receive food which will nourish their bodies and preserve their health. The truth is that speaking about sheep as animals, they really do not have good discernment about what they eat, actually. As animals, sheep will eat just about anything, and often they will find themselves getting into things that are poisonous, which will cause them to become ill. So the shepherd, one of his jobs when he has a flock of sheep, is to guide those sheep to a pasture that is devoid of poison, to a place that where, where they can receive nourishing grasses and the, the type of grains that they might need for their health. In like manner, a pastor is given the task of looking out for the congregation of people, the flock, the spiritual flock that God has given to him, understanding that we live in a day and age in which there are many winds of doctrine that are flying. There are many teachers out on the airwaves, and not all those teachers are teaching sound biblical truth. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the majority of those teachers are not teaching sound biblical truth. And one of the jobs of the shepherd, of the pastor, is to make sure that God's people develop an appetite for good biblical truth. Once you become a discerning intaker of God's truth, you'll start to be able to see the stuff that's not so good. You'll start to be able to discern. And that's the job of the pastor, to make sure that he is teaching line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It's good that we're not charged, Brother Jeff, with communicating the whole package of God's truth in one message. Aren't you glad for that? And the congregation is glad for that because they would be here for a long time. Now, one of Brother Jeff's primary challenges today is going to be presenting his entire doctrinal statement in about 45 minutes. So we're going to see whether he's a short-winded or long-winded pastor, and then we can send word on to the folks in Zambia about what they should watch out for. I'm glad that as a pastor, I'm not tasked with teaching everything there is to teach in the Bible every time I get up into the pulpit. But I do know this, that over a period of time, as you systematically teach and preach through books of the Bible, God's truth becomes settled in the hearts of God's people. They become sure about what God has said. And so in order to feed the flock, the pastor must be a man of this book. He must be schooled in the word of God. And and I don't mean by that that he needs to go to a special school. This is the school. This is where he needs to be educated, is in the pages of Scripture. Not that there's anything wrong with going to a school where you might learn some things about the Bible, but after you graduate from college or from seminary, you still have to make it your practice that this book is going to feed you so that you as the man of God can feed the people that God has given to you. Sometimes this teaching will take place in a public venue like is taking place right now. Sometimes this teaching will take place across the table at a diner 
with an open Bible and another person who's hungry for the truth of God's Word and needs some discipling. Sometimes this this teaching will take place in a smaller classroom or a smaller group of believers. But I know this, that one of the main functions of a pastor is to make sure that he is always feeding the flock of God. Making sure that God's people are well sustained with the truth of God. It's a tragedy to me that I hear today oftentimes when people come into this congregation, as they leave, they say, I haven't really heard Bible preaching like that in a long time. That's sad that I hear that said frequently. Because the truth is, every New Testament church should have a pastor or multiple pastors who have given themselves to this one thing, to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And the more that our land is filled with these kind of churches and these kind of men, the better the benefit will be for our nation. And so it's something that comes as a great concern to me that people say, I don't hear that kind of preaching very often anymore. And I don't think in what they're saying that they're referring to a style or to a particular way of speaking so much as they're talking about, and people will express this, you open the Bible and you read it and you explain what it means and then you apply it. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the calling of the pastor. The pastor is not called to be a storyteller, although I've known some pastors who were great storytellers and could really hold your attention in all kinds of venues. I'm not against guys who can tell a good story. I'm not so good at it myself. But that's not the calling of God. I think sometimes men look and they say, well, if I can't, if I can't tell a story real well, if I can't turn a, a tearjerker story on, then I'm probably not going to be much of a preacher. Actually, the call of God is simply to open the book, read it, explain it, apply it, challenge the people of God. That's what it is. God calls all kinds of men with all kinds of personalities, all kinds of different approaches and pulpit presence and ways that they approach the Scripture and explain the Scripture. But as long as it's scriptural, as long as it's true, as long as it is consistent with God's truth, then they're being faithful to the calling of God. Feed the flock of God. The pastor will find that his day will be filled oftentimes with feeding the flock of God. People who have needs in their life, who have concerns and burdens, and what they need is the truth of God applied to their individual life or their family life. He'll find that much of his time is spent consuming the Word of God and becoming consumed by the Word of God, So that when he stands in the pulpit, he speaks not with his own authority, but with the authority of thus saith the Lord. So the aspects of this charge, first of all, are to feed the flock of God. But second of all, the pastor is also called to the office of an overseer. This is another title that is used not in this passage, but in other places in the New Testament where the pastor is referred to as a bishop. And the word bishop just means someone who oversees. Here, he says very clearly in verse 2 that the man of God is to take the oversight 
of the flock of God. That means that he is to oversee it. The word oversight means to look upon or to inspect. It means to look after or to care for. It means to watch out or beware. It means that the pastor is given a unique challenge and a unique charge to be aware of the spiritual danger that exists. There are times, for instance, when I'll come to this pulpit and I'll say things, I'll challenge the congregation about something that I perceive to be a spiritual danger. And some may sit in the congregation and say, why is pastor being so negative? Why is he, why is he meddling in my life? Why is he saying that I should or shouldn't do this thing? Well, for one reason, because God has given me the privilege and the responsibility to take the oversight of this flock. To make sure that, for instance, what comes across this pulpit is the truth of God. So this pulpit and the teaching that takes place here to the congregation, that's a primary responsibility that I have. I remember years ago, a man wanted to join this church. He had not even visited this church, but he wanted to join this church. He wanted to get together with me, and we sat and talked, and he said, now I'm used to, in the place where I came from, I was a lay pastor, and I want to know how long it'll be before you have me preaching. And I said, well, honestly, I couldn't answer that question in this short conversation because I don't really know you. I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you would say to the congregation. And I don't take it lightly when somebody comes into this pulpit and addresses our congregation. He didn't like that answer. He never came and joined the church and he's not here today. That's fine. It's the pastor's job to be the overseer. He's going to supervise things. He's going to oversee. Some people have this idea, well, the pastor is called to do the work. No, really, the pastor is called to equip the membership to do the work. It is a work. This work that we are involved in, the work of the Great Commission and bringing glory to God in this generation, the work of discipleship is a work that involves every member of this church. But the pastors are involved in equipping the members for that task equipping them and preparing them to be involved in the work that God has called all of us to do. Now today, there are many people who do not like to think that a pastor should be an overseer. They think that a pastor should have nothing to do with challenging them or getting involved in their life. They don't like accountability. That's why a lot of people like internet pastors they like a pastor that's at, uh, at an arm's length. And, and let me just say, if you're watching online today, and there's some folks who are watching online today, and you don't attend the services here, and I don't have any ability to interact with you personally, please don't regard me as your pastor. Because I don't have any personal input. You say, well, I'm learning from your preaching. I'm glad, I'm glad that that's the case But we need the assembly. We need the fellowship of the believers. And I realize that there's things that can happen, health problems and and things that can come up in people's lives. But a pastor's job is to get involved in the lives of his people, to look at them eyeball to eyeball and to challenge them, to encourage them, to pray with them, to walk with them through the trials of life. And really then the, the whole flock, the whole church... To make sure that the ship 
is, is going the right direction, that we're pursuing the goals of God, that we're doing what God wants us to do in this generation, that we're involved in the work that he wants us to be involved in. And sometimes people will say, well, pastor, why don't we do this? I, I, I think we ought to do this, or I think we ought to do that. To be honest with you, we're very, we're very particular about the ministries that we involve ourselves in as a church. And you say, why is that? Because we want to make sure that the focus stays on what it ought to be. Someone asked me the other day, you know, do you take clothes and and keep them at your church for people who are in need of clothes? And and I answered them very simply, no, we don't. Uh, We've done that in the past and it didn't work out so great. Um, Became like people dropped off clothes and nobody ever took clothes. And pretty soon we had a lot of clothes and nobody ever wanted them. But the truth is that God hasn't called churches to clothe people who need clothes. There's, there's organizations that do that. That's their mission. Now, I'm not, I'm not opposed to if somebody needs clothes, trying to help them. But that's not the primary mission God has given to a church. God hasn't called a church to feed the hungry. God has given a very specific task to a church. And we have to make sure that in the pursuit of the different things we involve ourselves in, that we are focused on the main thing, that we're, that we're keeping that as the main goal. It's very easy for a church to get caught up in tangent ministries and those tangent ministries become the main thing. And, and then take the attention of the church away from what it should be. And you say, well, who's supposed to be making sure that doesn't happen? It's, it's the pastor's job to make sure that that stays on track. So he says this, feed the flock of God, take the oversight thereof. Notice this, that this oversight should not be by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And this leads us to, we've considered the charge, but now I want you to think about the caution that is laid before these elders. Because the truth is that the work of the ministry and the position of leadership is a place of temptation. It's a place where a man could be drawn aside because he becomes a target to the enemy to try to lead him astray. You know, it's a sad thing when a man who is a pastor falls in sin. It has a far-reaching ripple effect in the lives of people who trusted him, who, who looked to him for leadership. And then when that man makes some wrong decisions and perhaps falls in sin that is very, uh, very plain and obvious and public, it can crush, especially young believers, because they say, I, I thought that he was so sincere. I thought that he was speaking the truth, and then he succumbed to temptation. Now, understand that any pastor is just a man and could fall. So don't ever think that it's impossible for a man of God to fall. But there are three particular areas where the elders are cautioned here in verses 2 and 3 that I want to point out to you for the sake of our discussion this morning. First of all, he warns these elders against laziness. He says, be very careful to beware of laziness. So he says to this, these elders, take the oversight 
not by constraint, but willingly. The word constraint means somebody is forcing you to do it. Someone is is watching over and making sure that you're doing your job. This is one of the aspects of being in the pastorate that requires a lot of character. Because the truth is, nobody really comes and checks in on me during the week and says, now, pastor, how's your studying going for the weekend? Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be prepared? Now, I do have the accountability of needing to get up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and say something that's intelligible and scriptural. So that kind of weighs on you a little bit. You you expect that people are, are discerning enough to know whether you've studied, whether you've prepared. But the truth is, nobody's really following behind saying, all right, I'm, I'm checking off whether you're doing the things that a pastor should do. And that means that a pastor needs to be a, a, a person who is, and I'm going to use this word, self-motivated. And I don't mean that in a, in a selfish kind of a way or a self-focused kind of a way. I, I mean a person who doesn't need somebody to come along behind them and kick them in the seat of the pants to get things done. They can figure out how to discipline their life. They can figure out how to organize their schedule. They can figure out how to do the things that need to be done so that when the time comes, the things are done that should be done. So he says, make sure that you're taking the oversight, not by constraint. A pastor should do his job willingly and voluntarily. He shouldn't need anyone to look over his shoulder to force him to get the job done. He should be diligent in his work. Now, a God-called man who's walking in the Spirit, I'll tell you that you shouldn't really need to worry about whether he's doing his job. There's more work to do than there is time in the day, is the truth of the matter. And so he'll find that there's lots of discernment that is needed for where to invest his energies and where to spend his time. This is something, if you say, now how could we pray for Brother Jeff? And by the way, I'll say this about Jeff. He's worked here on staff as part of our ministry team for the last year. He's definitely not lazy. But you can pray for him that God will give him discernment about where to invest his time. Because it's easy as a pastor to get caught up investing your time and your energy in things that are not the will of God, and letting things go that are the will of God. And so you could pray for him that God would give him that discernment. And we understand that a man who is in the work of the pastor should be a man who is not lazy. But it is a temptation that could be present. There's the joke that goes around on Sunday sometime. Well, pastor, how does it feel to be done with work for the week? And sadly, the reason that that's a joke that people can chuckle at is because there's many pastors who treat the pastorate exactly that way. But there's much more work to be done beyond Sunday. Sunday, honestly, for a pastor, is really just the public part of his ministry. The rest of the week is the more private part of his ministry or the individual part of his ministry And it requires just as much energy and just as much investment of his time and attention. So he's warning them, beware of laziness. Second of all, he warns them with these words, not for filthy lucre, 
but of a ready mind. Not only should the man of God beware of laziness, but the man of God should beware of covetousness. We live in an age of covetousness. We live in a time where men and women who call themselves pastors are entering into that occupation, viewing it as an occupation rather than a calling because they feel like they could make a decent salary and they could have a secure future. Just recently in the news, I didn't follow up to see how valid it was. I assume if it was in the news, it was true. So (laughs) recently in the news, there was an article that I noticed of a pastor who got up and evidently not only in the congregation, but on the live stream that other people were viewing, berated the congregation because they didn't get him an expensive enough watch. And it wasn't the one that he wanted. They got him a watch, but it wasn't expensive enough and he wasn't pleased with the gift. I could, If that is true, and if it happened exactly the way that it's described in the article, I would suggest that there is a man who is overwhelmed with covetousness who sees the ministry simply as an avenue to get something from other people. What you'll find about the ministry is it's much more about giving than getting. It's much more about what you are investing in others than what others are returning to you. It's sad, but the motivation for receiving money can become a motivating factor in men's hearts in the ministry... And they can become overwhelmed with covetousness, thinking that here is a way for me to make a great living. Pastors should beware of the way of Balaam. This manifests itself when people flash some cash and say, Hey, pastor, there will be a really good offering if you will just make this little tweak to the ministry for me. If you would be willing to back off on this principle or this doctrine, you know, and it's not usually said quite that plainly or that uh, with that much uh, rudeness, but there are often suggestions that are made that, hey, you know, things would go a lot better. We would have a lot more members. We would have bigger offerings if we would just maybe back off on these things and covetousness can take over a man's heart. He can start to think in terms of paying the bills, making sure that he receives his salary. And sadly, as a result, a man could find himself cutting short the message which God has given for the people. Now, I will point out that verse 2 is not an admonition to the church to keep the pastor poor. There are other passages that deal with how a church should deal with the pastor and his needs. Sometimes people read passages like this and they get the idea, well, it's, it's our job as people to make sure that the pastor is really depending upon the Lord and that he doesn't have much. I'm thankful that this church is not like that. This church cares for the needs of the men who are called to the ministry here. Praise God for that. But understand that the admonition here rather is addressed to the man of God. You see, the truth of the matter is that if I am truly called of God, that calling should not depend on how much I receive as remuneration. 
It should not depend on what is the, what is the amount of salary that I will be paid. It should be something that I would be willing to do for free, if need be. It should be something that I would be willing to say, I'll, I'll perform that office even if I need to get another job and work that job to provide for the needs of my family. And in fact, there's many men in the ministry who, who work another job to provide for the needs of their family because the church that they pastor is not able to fully provide for their needs. That ought to be the heart of every God-called man. We must work diligently to make sure that covetousness is not ruling in our hearts. Beware of laziness. Beware of covetousness. And then in verse 3, he says, "...neither as being lords over God's heritage..." but being in samples to the flock. Beware of selfishness. Beware of selfishness. It is a great tragedy when a man of God begins to view the assembly as his personal kingdom, as the place where he rules and dictates and tells everyone which T to cross and which I to dot. If a man begins thinking... This is my place where I rule. I tell people when and how to jump, and they do exactly what I say. That, my friends, is a great tragedy. That is being a Lord over the flock of God. God has not called any pastor to be a dictator or a Lord over the flock of God. You'll notice in verse 3, that the flock of God is called God's heritage. That means this assembly does not belong to this pastor. This assembly belongs to that shepherd. This is his flock. As a pastor in my office, I simply perform as an under-shepherd, doing the bidding of the chief shepherd, And watching over the flock. Now you'll notice in verse 3 something to beware of. The power of leadership that is wielded by a pastor is not the power of position or intimidation. Sadly, a man can fall prey to the temptation to get people to do what he wants through manipulation or intimidation. This is not the kind of behavior that is befitting to a man of God. You say, well, then what is his calling? Or what is his place? His place is primarily a place of influence. It is a place of being an example. It is a place of saying, follow me as I follow Christ. There certainly is authority. And there certainly is leadership that is given to a pastor. But a pastor better understand that the primary way of evidencing that leadership is through servant leadership. It is through example and showing the flock what it means to be godly and to be passionate for the kingdom of God. I've been in congregations at times, having traveled all over, and been in a number of different churches where usually it's a young man 
in the ministry, who's trying to show everyone what a man of God he is, and he gets up and berates the congregation. He thinks he's exhorting them, but he's insulting them. He's, he's sometimes calling them names. Sometimes he's using manipulative language and emotions to get some kind of a result. Hopefully, at some point, they learn, okay, this is not real leadership. Because the change that is elicited from that kind of leadership is very short-term. It doesn't last very long. In fact, it lasts only as long as it takes for the people to get out of the sight of the person who convinced them to do something against their will. There is a much stronger way of leading, and that is through the power of example. Through saying, this is what it means to serve God. This is what it means to raise a family that pleases the Lord. This is what it means to be involved in the work of the ministry. This is what it means to walk with God. This is what it means to be involved in the work of evangelism. A pastor must be careful. He must understand that his position, the place that he's been given is only for a while. It's only for a little while. God's intention is for the church to continue on, for there to be a transition of leadership at some point in the future, and for that man then to step to a different place of service, no longer needing to wield that authority. That is God's plan. It doesn't always work out that way. But see, that's because we're tempted sometimes to be selfish. We're tempted to think, well, all these people have been provided to serve me, to meet my needs, to make sure that my needs are met. Begin thinking that way, and a pastor will find himself quickly in a place where he should not be. It's his responsibility instead to serve the flock and to lead the flock as a servant. The flock belongs to God. Always in the scriptures, proper authority is best exercised from a position of selflessness. I often have to remind myself and question my motives. Why why am I wanting to preach on this subject? Why am I going to address this matter in this way? Is it for me? Is it so that I will be happy? Or is it because I have your genuine best interest in my heart? I want the best for you spiritually. That should be my motivation. I want to glorify God and I want what is best for you in your life. Not I want things to be the way that I want them to be. So, Brother Jeff, beware of these things. Beware of laziness and covetousness and selfishness. And you you all can pray for him in regards to these things. And just pray that God will preserve him and help him. And I hope that you'll pray for me in regards to these things. These are real temptations that are there, that, that are available, that can draw a man off the track that God has for him. Real quickly, we'll finish with verse 4 
with the compensation that is promised to the elders. In verse 4 he says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now there's a couple things I'll point out to you. First of all, this compensation is taking place at a particular time. Most of the compensation that will be received for the work of the ministry is not going to be received right here, right now. In fact, if you talk to men who are pastors and get close to them and listen to the burdens of their heart, many of them will tell you that the the work of the ministry is a thankless place. And I'm not saying that to you trying to get some sort of a response. That's not how I feel serving here in this ministry. You folks are very gracious. But oftentimes, men can get the feeling that nobody notices. Nobody cares what I'm doing. Nobody sees the effort that I'm investing. Nobody nobody is thankful. It's kind of like a mom who cooks three meals a day for her kids and feels like, I just wish once in a while they'd say thank you. I wish they would appreciate that I make these meals for them. And, and it's easy to take things for granted, isn't it? Like somebody who cooks you a meal a couple times a day and you just get used to it. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be and you can take it for, for granted and not say thank you. So there are men who feel like, you know, it's a thankless task. But the truth is, if a man is serving for the thank yous or for the praise of men and he gets them, See, inevitably, what he does is he starts fishing for those things. And so he finds ways to drop hints that he needs thank yous and extra compensation and that sort of thing. Well, you have your reward. If you got that, with that motivation, you have your reward. But there is a greater reward, and that is the reward that will come when the Lord appears. You see, there are things that are very gratifying about the work of the ministry. I will tell you that. In this message, I hope you don't get any idea that I don't enjoy the calling of God that he's placed upon my life. There is nothing that I would rather do. I love the calling of God. It's such a privilege. And I receive so many benefits as a result of being in the ministry. So there are things that you receive right now. But you know the greatest reward that the the pastor anticipates is standing before the chief shepherd and hearing these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I trust that that is the motivation and that will be the result of a ministry that is served by one who is walking in the Spirit. He reminds us in verse 4 that there is a chief shepherd. That means that the pastor is not above all authority. The pastor has an authority, in fact, probably more than one over him, but definitely the pastor answers to God. The pastor is going to stand before God and give an account. Do you know the scripture says that a pastor will give an account for the members of his church? The pastor also will give an account... For whether or not he invested his life and walked in the power of the Spirit and fulfilled the plan of God for him, 
If you think that this sounds very serious and difficult with a high level of accountability to God, you would be absolutely right. For the life of me, I can't figure out why anyone would go into the ministry without God calling them to do it. Because you're going to stand before God and give an account and an answer to Him. But then we see that the compensation that's going to be received is described here in verse 4 as a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Evidently, to the pastor who fulfills his responsibility in a way that pleases God, one day when he stands before the Lord, he's going to receive a crown. And that crown is not going to be to designate him as someone special But what we know from the scriptures is that crown is going to be something to return to the feet of the Lord Jesus and worship Him for all that He has done, to lift Him up and to praise Him. Now, what's interesting to me is that the elders being addressed in 1 Peter chapter 5 are completely anonymous to you and I. We do not know their name. We do not know anything about their background. We know nothing about their ministry. As far as I know, we have no writings of theirs preserved for us to read today. We don't have a biographical sketch of them. We don't even have a painting or a photograph to know what they looked like. They are completely anonymous to us. But God says those men who have served in this way are so significant to me that one day they will receive a crown of glory in my presence. This is the highest of rewards. The honest truth is, if nobody ever knows my name, if nobody knows who I am, and I serve the Lord and fulfill His calling in my life, it is more than enough that one day He will recognize my service for Him. A man who is aspiring to greatness aspiring to a big name and a big following and making a big splash, being a, I don't know, what do they call them anymore? An influencer or something like that? Like, you know, everybody knows who you are and knows what you're... I guess it's not Instagram anymore, it's TikTok or something like that. Whatever your channel is and that's what I want to be. That's not the place for the man of God. The man of God just serves in the place where God puts him, without aspirations of anything more or anything less than fulfilling the will of God, and he is content with the smile of his shepherd. The work of the ministry, the office of the pastor, is a wonderful thing. And it is the plan of God. It's the plan of God for a church to have pastors who are involved in the work of the ministry among them. This is the way that God has designed the work of the ministry to take place. You do realize that if God wanted to, He could personally manifest His physical presence in this assembly every week, and He could personally teach and preach and guide and direct the church. He could designate angelic beings to be a physical manifestation in every congregation and be the ones who would give the directives of God. But that is not how God works. Instead, 
And I say this with so much humility and a lack of understanding of why God would do this. God takes flawed, sinful, mistaken men and he gives them as a stewardship a place of leadership. And he says, now I want you to exercise your spiritual gifts and fulfill the ministry that I have given you there in that place. And I say, but Lord, I'm going to make mistakes. I don't think I'm going to do a very good job. I I think that I'm not up to this task. I think I'm going to make wrong decisions. I I think that I'm not going to fulfill everyone's needs. I I think that some people are going to misunderstand me and they're going to think that that I've done something to offend them or that I've somehow spoken against them. I think that this is too difficult. And God says, but this is the way that I want to work through men. And this is a great consolation to us because if God wants to work through men in the office of the pastor, he also wants to work through men and women who are members of the assembly that he gives spiritual gifts to for the purpose of furthering the cause of Christ and growing the kingdom of God in this world. God wants to use each and every one of his children for his honor and his glory. And so today it's a special day for us. A little while later we'll be Hearing from Brother Jeff, he'll be explaining to us his doctrinal positions, and none of that will be a surprise to any of us because we've had quite a while to examine his life, to ask him questions, to get to know what he believes, not just with what he says, but with how he lives. And Lord willing, at the end of that time, we'll be having a prayer of dedication and a recognition of God's calling in his life and anticipation of how God is going to use Jeff and Nina in the country of Zambia and among this congregation that at this point needs a pastor. And we are excited to be a part of that. Now I'll say, sometimes when we're setting a man aside in this way and recognizing the call of God on his life, it's so that we can send them as a missionary out of our church as an evangelist. And they will be remaining as a member of our church and we're sending them with authority to do the work. Sometimes we set men aside to labor here in our midst as pastors. And that is a blessing. But this is unique. Uh, And this is the second time in a row that we've done this where we are recognizing God's call and then we are sending a man to a work and that work will be with another organized New Testament assembly of which they will become members and not so they were not going to retain their church membership here. And so there's going to be some separation. So that's a little bit different for us. And uh, we, at the same time, are excited for the provision of God and what God is doing today. I trust that you've been challenged and helped from the scriptures. Perhaps you understand a little bit better the office of the pastor and the calling of God. Perhaps this morning there's some men who are wrestling with this very call in their life and wondering what is God's purpose and where is God taking me. I can only say to you that if God is calling you, don't get detoured by doing anything less than God's will for your life. But if God is not calling you, please don't try to shoulder your way 
into a ministry that God has not called you to. You'll be ill-suited to it, and it will end very badly if you try to pursue a plan that is not God's plan for your life. There's great honor and dignity in doing the will of God. If God has called you to be an engineer or a carpenter or a plumber or an administrative assistant or any number of other things, and He has equipped you with spiritual gifts within the body, there is absolutely no lack of dignity and honor from the Lord if you pursue the will of God and do His will in that area. It is not as if, oh, the only people who really can honor God are people who are missionaries and pastors. It's not that case. It is a special calling. It's a tremendous privilege. But what each of us should try to do is to fulfill God's individual will for our individual lives.